0: Bumstead to take the corner, and Droy got up, Canneville, well taken, Chelsea lead 1-0.
1: Hello and welcome to Football Ramble Book Club with me, Kate Mason, and me, Andy Brassell. This week we have a very special book club for you. Andy and I have been reading Paul Canaville's Black and Blue, Canners was Chelsea's first black player, making his debut in 1982. And the book charts his route to the heights of professional football and back again. With the subtitle, How Racism, Drugs and Cancer Almost Destroyed Me, some of it makes grim reading. But it's a hugely absorbing story and you're carried along by the charm of the man at its heart, who feels things deeply and found himself sometimes at sea, in a world that wasn't designed to help him.
0: Ganneville's torment lasted for years, and one experience was especially painful. It came during a reserve game against another London team, Millwall. You see two guys with pillowcases over there, and you think, are
2: they for real?
0: No, and you realise, how can these kids be allowed in the ground like this? And this is a reserve game, what's wrong with it? And this was Ku Klux Klan. Ku and... I lost my head, I ain't going to say. It. As a professional, professional, I shouldn't have thought about it. I did lose my head.
1: The book opens with Paul Canaville's first game for Chelsea's first team away at Selhurst Park. The way he talks about the racist shouting that greets him at what should be the best moment of his career is devastating. You want to know more and you want for this man to be all right. Well, the subtitle is correct. It's not just racism he's been battling his whole life. It's been sometimes a life of chaos and we're so happy to have today Paul Cannaville with us in the Football Ramble studio. Thanks for joining Andy and me.
0: Yes, um, good afternoon. Um, that was a great introduction there, Kat. I have to say. <laughs> thank you very much indeed. Um, kind of honoured anyway um, to be here. Thank you.
1: We really appreciate it and it's so good great um, to get a chat, chance to chat to you. Um, would you say you were now all right, Canna's?
0: Um, That's a really good question. Would I say I'm all right... Um, instrumental um, because I still think about it to this very day um, uh, my introduction down at Chelsea um, on that very day you mentioned um, still comes back to me um, and whatever happened afterwards don't get me wrong and obviously what's happening in football now so that in that element it still yeah kind of reminds me keeps flashing back to me as such but I um, still love the club as such and yeah, yeah i dig in and try to make it as smooth as I can. But um, yeah, it's what goes on right now. It's where I am.
3: If, if we look at that game, you, you came on um, for Chelsea against Palace at, at Selhurst Park. I mean, it's, it's a really arresting bit in the book. I mean, I, I, I read this book for the second time. I have read it originally when it, it came out before we did the show. And it's still a shocking this the, the, the second time you, you, you read it. So, I mean, you talk about the, the feelings of isolation when you get back in the the, the the dressing room after that. You talk about Colin Pates, the captain, coming up to you asking how you were. You you, you talk quite warmly of of, of John Neal and of the coach and how he tried to look after you. Um, but was was that an issue for you that there were like it, it was a very white dressing room and there was no one who could really feel what you feel.
0: Um. To be honest, you know, I didn't think it, of it like that. And um, obviously, it, as teammates would do, you know what I mean? We console each other and kind of input each other in the game as such. Um, for that bearing, when I came in, I rushed into the changing room. And when the rest of the lads came after, it, usually the banter that goes on for after the game is unbelievable. But at this time, silence. Couldn't believe it, it, Seriously, and usually when I've seen being in the change room, ah, the jokes that come out of that game, didn't you have him in your pocket? Can No, but it was complete silence. Do you think game. people didn't know what to say to you? Probably didn't. They put, it was that close. That that time, the you, you stadium at Sir Lewis Park was that close. The mm. fans were that close. You could hear it. Um, what could they say? How do you feel, Candace? Are you all right, Canis? Whatever. I don't know how I would have been, you know what I mean, felt about it, but um. I have to, you mentioned John Neal, he was the one who came and consoled me and told me straight those words, man, these are some ignorant people, but it's what you're going to do about it. And he was right. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, It was that experience. I've never, ever come across that. And I've played football throughout, for me, throughout the country.
1: Just to talk about how a book like this, because I don't know how many people are aware of how books like yours are put, Put together, if you like, caners. Essentially, they'll tend to be a collaboration between a ghostwriter and the subject. So right. you, in that case. In this case, it was Rick Glanville, yes. uh, the excellent Chelsea historian, mm. and we're going to hear from him shortly. But I guess the question that occurred to me is how it felt for you. Cost your mind back to when you first spoke to him. How it felt putting, starting to put some of these terrible experiences into words in front of a man who, to start with, was was almost a stranger.
0: You know what I mentioned that therapeutic, then I mentioned that to you earlier, and it was like um, you got to understand this. When I joined back or got come back, should I say back to Chelsea? I was asked to. Um, I didn't even know they had uh, their own TV station. <laughs> I was like Chelsea TV station. Don't get me wrong. I've come back after how many years? From eighty six, two thousand four, two, mm. and it was like, oh my god. What happened to the shedding that was taken down? <laughs> the notorious shedding that used to give me that full stick was now I couldn't be seen no more, and it was like, my gosh, what's going on? Hotels, this is all changed. you know what I mean? Stanford Bridge Road, I that's how I left it mm. is now changed. But um, met Rick, and I got to praise Rick. You know what I mean? Because it was like I was just got back. I was in, you know what I mean? Invited back to Chelsea. And I think it was the golden year, 150th, fifties year, it was such and such an anniversary and they were trying to get all the old boys together and I, this time I'd just come back from having cancer and I wasn't too, no, I mean, just coming with rehab, well, rehabilitation, not rehabilitation, but anyway, um, going through the um, medicine and my um, treatment, shall I say, chemotherapy treatment. So I think they got in touch with my sister that told me about it and I was just, yeah, trying to meet the lads but I didn't get to see the lads because the cab was late <laughs> for some reason and got there where the coach had already left and I was You like,
1: got a bad record with cabs, so haven't yeah, you? Yeah, it was <laughs> like
0: upsetting. It was, you know what I mean? I was really looking forward to it and my sister kind of had a go at them and said, no, we're so sorry that he missed that and, you know what I mean? So, and then Rank Rick contacted me and and I couldn't believe really, when Rick, when he said, like, I'd love to do a book. I said, what do you mean by a book? He said, your autobiography. I went, what? No, no, no. But you've got to understand this. So I had my troubles, obviously, with cancer and with drugs. And I I was embarrassed. I didn't really want anybody to know. And that's especially the whole world to know, because obviously that information would be in the book. And for me, it was like, he said, look, think about it. And I was like, hmm. And it's then you think about it and I was like, oh, my God. You know what? For what I was going through when I was in rehab and I was talking to a counsellor and that was the first time I was sharing a lot, which helped me. It helped me so much mm. that I was being able to be open and sharing because I didn't used to talk about anything and share with nobody. Um, That was how me and my sister was brought up with my mum. It was a case of, like, she said, like, these four walls, you keep everything inside these four walls, so it was a case. You right, Paul? Yeah, I'm fine. And I wasn't fine, but that's how it was. So when Rick's asking me about sharing and about my story, you're thinking, mm, I don't know about that one. But um, it was you know what to get the um, the approval. Should I say or should I say the okay was from my mum. I had to ask her because a lot of it was about her and how I was growing up. And she played that part. And <laughs> I even chickened out with that because I, I went and asked my sister to go and ask her. I didn't even ask her. <laughs> You know what I mean? She said, oh, going on June, just ask her, tell her about if it's all right. And I was so shocked because it would have been her, okay. If she said no, it would have been no. But I was surprised and she said, yeah, go ahead. And I went, what? And when I say that, it was funny because can you imagine I started to remember, and this is what it was when I say therapeutic, it was mm. remembering from day young of growing up how it was for you and I could remember and it was like with Rick kind the of dictaphone, I believe you call it. Yeah. He said, Take, kind of write it down. I said, no, 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 no. And I hate writing man. so you best come with that dictaphone and this. <laughs> I mean, three hours, non-stop, chatting away, this and that, that, that. I don't know how you up do it to be mm. honest. So you just, by that dictaphone, taking that information and writing down. We did it how many times? Nearly a month. We did that until he we was ready and put it down. And um, I'll give Rick it was a case to be honest. What I wanted was Rick, I'm a person, I don't read books. Um, I hate reading small print. I hate reading um this. You have to put it the way I'm talking. Mm-hmm. That's the only way I'm gonna be comfortable about this book. It's the way I'm telling you, it's how it's got to come out. And I think that's what Rick did. He did that. You know, that people appreciate it. Boy, it's quite easy. I had people, don't get me wrong, ringing me um, at one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. Cannes, man, I'm reading your book. Mm. Having a bath. Oh, what? It said, I wanted to go to the one chapter and think, I'll put it down. But I couldn't. I wanted to know what was that... I said, put the damn book down, man, and have a bath. And <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean, it was, yeah, yeah, Rick's, he'd done his job. He'd done it right.
2: I used to stand in the, the shed and, you know, you'd hear the hooting and booing of black players. And I can remember uh, sometimes, you know, they, they would they would boo the black players of, say, Crystal Palace or West Ham. And then our uh, later, you know, even after Paul, our black players would run out, and there would be silence. And you're thinking, "Are you not, you know, are you not putting two and two together here? It's not acceptable to uh, to boo people for the colour of their skin."
1: So this is Paul's ghostwriter, Rick Glanville, who's a season ticket holder at Chelsea, and that means he was there in the terraces at Stamford Bridge in the 80s. Here's what he remembers.
2: I think the problem was that you felt, you know, you're one person. In a in a crowd and there might be 10 or 15 people near you that are doing this. And you didn't feel empowered to speak up personally. Um, And I suppose uh, for for good or bad, my love of of the club overrode uh, my preparedness to sort of speak out until I was slightly older. And then I would start to say to people, look, there's no need for that. Stop that. Don't, you know... it's outrageous, you can't do that kind of thing. And, and what really helped was that after Paul had suffered the abuse that he did, uh, Pat Nevin, who was such a popular player at the club, uh, scored a goal against the same team that Paul made his debut against, Crystal Palace. And instead of talking about, he was the cameras came up to him afterwards because he scored the winning goal. And he said, I don't want to talk about the winning goal. I want to talk about the Chelsea fans who I love that you cannot keep abusing Paul Canneville. You cannot keep up this racial abuse. And that really empowered those of us who kind of were isolated in there, who hated what was going on and would try and uh, stop people doing it. But it suddenly became, you had the kind of moral high ground because Pat Nevin was backing you in that, in that respect.
3: So you talked about it being a therapeutic process, Paul. And I guess for like a lot of people you know talking about your life is is sort of educational because you're too busy living it sometimes mm. to actually stop and, and and think about it and look at the bigger picture when you go back to those early years at chelsea when you were suffering some awful abuse and you were young and you were new in a, a really high pressure profession getting it from rick's perspective who was obviously there on the terraces at the time mm did that help you decipher it? Did that help you work some of it out and and really realise what had gone on, actually?
0: Um, It it did. It did help because, as you just said, Rick was there on the sideline and obviously could see what I was receiving at the time. Um, I think as well as that, the amount of time, uh, it was free for three years, man. Three years. um, Home and away. Um, It was like, when I started off and I was so excited, I was in the reserves and, you know what I mean? And it was, I was thinking that this is going to be a, a difference, a change. Because now coming from non-league, semi-pro now into professionalism, it's going to be hard. But I, it was quite easy. Oh, the balance, I was, you know what I mean, training every day, which I loved it. I was fit myself. And so I'm playing games with that and travelling to... I mean, different stadiums that I used to see on the TV. This was excitement for me, even though it was a reserve game, don't get me wrong, which didn't have so many um, crowds. But yeah, playing football was like on the left, on the right, a striker, I was so, so comfortable. um, that I thought, this is how it is. This is the the avenue, this is where I want to break into the first team. And it happened after four months, which was quick. Um, And then I thought, yeah, this is it, man. Um, being told, and it was only the day before, that, yeah, your substitute um, for the Crystal Palace game. What? Yeah. And you know what I mean? <laughs> Boy, mobiles <laughs> made made money from me, but I tell you that now because I was phoning everybody <laughs> family members, friends. Come on, man, I got tickets. Don't worry about that. You're there. Yeah. Don't worry. Come up to walk me. I'm going to do it. Come on. And I got everybody down. Don't get me wrong. Um, and yeah, it was uh, traveling on the, on the, on the coach and don't get me wrong I've been on the coach but nothing like how it was this coach was like a house to me It had a kitchen bathroom the lot and it was like this is what you call yeah professionalism yeah it was It's a glance man trust me so you can you, you can understand the adrenaline that was happening in me it was like I was so excited and I got to the stadium and you're seeing the crowds forming and coming up and saying, yeah this is it and um, what Rick saw there trust me in I don't think anybody knew quite honestly inside what was going on. Um, And my love for football has, from the age of five, man, from the age of five, that was all it was for me, football. Education didn't come so importantly, even though that was something for my mum and parent that wanted to. But that day, I I, I will never forget it. Um, it, it. It was like a hammer that hit a nail. And um, when the governor and I thought I'd never get on, and <laughs> this is how it honestly was: it was like the first half thing seeing Neil, Neil, and I've already clocked the right back and thinking, Jesus, I've got this guy in my pocket. If I get on there, I knew he couldn't run. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm thinking, yeah. yeah, get me on here. You know what I mean? And time is running out, and you've got to understand, right? And I'm bringing back football how it was back then. It was one substitute. One. Hmm. So your manager had to make the decision of when to bring that substitute, whether it's injury, whether it's a change of game, to, compared to today's footballers. Six substitutes, use three. So I'm looking at, oh my guys, nil-nil, second half coming on it's nil-nil, 25, 75 minutes, eight minutes, nil-nil. And I'm thinking, come on, man, get me on, let me try this game. I'm watching, i up me. up, I don't know. And, um, I'm thinking, nah, he ain't going to use me. And you get that call, you don't know. canners. What's that? Go and get warmed up. <laughs> that was it. Trust me, I am buzzing. Everything's going on. I'm telling you, I can't, I'm going to get these stretches quick and get on quick. And it was that warm up. And I'm just got me back to the crowd and it was just hearing this racial slurs and... And I'm thinking, whoa, that couldn't be directed at me. And I'm thinking, hold on a minute. And I think, boy, Crystal Palace fans are raw. I thought, nah, somebody's got to do something there. And it got worse. It got worse. And I swear, Lord, I I don't get upset like that. I wouldn't even show in public me me getting upset. And but I was didn't like it. I, I was getting hurt and I was getting angry. And and to turn around and I saw clearly it wasn't Crystal Palace fans. It was my own fans. It was like. Wow It stopped everything It stopped Every piece of muscle in me Just drained And I hadn't even started yet I was just I Took the tracksuit off But I didn't even want to go on the pitch I did, I don't even think If I can remember If I moved from the line At all All I wanted was wait For the referee to blow his whistle um, And that's all I remember When he blew his whistle I was off that pitch as quick Straight in the change room, and like we said earlier, so to say that I was that was happening even in the away games and home games, and even when I played Fulham, which was a lug, well, obviously a derby, London derby, when we played Chelsea Fulham, and I scored a great goal. That that I heard it wasn't classed as a goal because of Blackpool. I was like, and it was going through all that. And then you got to go for your family members because they're telling you, why would you want to play for a racist side? And me explaining, it wasn't the club, man, just some ignorance. You know what I mean? It's them. And then, like we said, isolated and felt alone because I felt like I had to prove um, twice as better than my teammates to be just to be accepted for the crowd and that that, yeah, is every time it's like, I I don't know, some pros will tell you, I, I, I thought of the game before it started. I thought of the game, if I get that ball, this is what I'm going to do. And it was like, yeah, the crowd, would, they'll be all right if they see me can do this. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking every time. I was like, come on, Paul, it might not even happen that way. You know what I mean? You might have a bad one. I knew when I got the ball, if that touch wasn't on point, I'm going to have a bad game. That's how it was for me. If it was on, I'll watch out. <laughs> that defender, you're in trouble. That's how it was. Every um, time for me, and um, yeah, some games was alright. Some you know, medium. But I put every effort that I could. Um, there were some genuine fans. Don't get me wrong. And there were some real genuine fans and I was frightened. I was meeting them after at the gate, and Paul. Not all of us are like that. We're behind you. We really are. And I was like. Okay, and I ain't going to lie Somebody used just, to just give me the Wrigley Spearmint. you know, the chewing gums. Yeah. Pack it. And I, when they gave it to me, I thought, is that poison? I, I'm not going to lie. I was like, hmm. I've got to take it because I can't offend. But like, I wouldn't eat it. I swear, Lord, I thought it might have something. I was like, how could you think like that? Because, you know what I mean?
1: Because so paranoid. As it, it was, it, it
0: really was. It was that turn of scary time. But some genuine supporters, uh, I have to call out John Jewett. Thank you, mate. Um, This guy was a a, a giant, gentle giant, I call him. And you know what I mean? I know he stood up in a crowd of skinheads and turned around. He's one of our own. And I've got to give him that because there were some genuine supporters out there. And I know they are, you know what I mean? But um, I think we've kind of eased down. not just as a club but as um the players to be accepted as it was um and me starting doing the hospitality that I got fans coming around and actually apologizing and that was that was you know what for me a shock still because I'd forgotten past uh, accepted it in a way but obviously you're brute it back because you say paul actually own up and say I was one that abused you and I didn't know any better oh yeah really oh yeah yeah man come up to me and say look I was one that abused you I didn't know any better I was just following my old man and so forth and I was like wow what do I do here do I get angry it was like no no that's past but you understand how it felt yeah and to relate with that and if you can't educate your kids now that's the best thing, you know what I mean?
1: Well, I think, let's take a break now and then we're going to talk a bit more about your family after this cool. and perhaps a bit of life after football. Very much. Thanks. Up goes Nevin!
2: And my word, Dixon was almost in there again. They've got a corner. Well,
0: little Pat Nevin, one of the smallest men on the field, really had no right it seemed to win that one in the air.
1: But when he did Dave picks and a half chance and he provides Chelsea with a corner. Welcome back to the book club with Andy Brussel and me, Kate Mason. This week, we're talking about Paul Cannerville's book, Black and Blue. We heard from his ghostwriter, Rick Glanville, earlier on in the show about what it felt like to be in the terraces at Stamford Bridge while Canners was playing and being racially abused. We've also talked about how a book like this comes to be written. We can hear from Rick now on how he came to understand something very important about Canner's and his relationships.
2: So I actually said to Paul, look, do you mind if I... Uh, to meet your mum a couple of times by myself because she might say things that you wouldn't know or that you wouldn't say or she might give a different perspective that will be helpful. So we're sitting in her kitchen and she was really nervous. (laughs) Uh, And, um, you know, she's this, uh, what was she? She was in her 60s or, or something like that. And she had become a nurse by then. But she said to me the most extraordinary thing I said, "How do you, how do you explain how Paul ended up, how he did going off the rails?" And she said, "Well, you know, um, I didn't realise until I became a nurse, uh, and I was sitting in a class, and we were talking about paediatrics, and they said the first, the first thing, obviously, every child in this that's born needs is love." And she said, "Do you know that's the first time I'd realised that? I'd never thought." about that at all that what a child needs more than anything is love well this is a bit late this is like when Paul was in his 40s and um, she'd never felt that he needed love what she always felt was that he needed kind of guidance and and kind of uh, you know food on the table and told what to do but never love and I thought that was again something of that uh, to tell her experience as I said part of the Windrush generation came here thinking the streets were paved with gold had to work in a factory in terrible conditions and experienced racism and that is all imbued in in what uh, in how Paul ended up
1: How do you feel hearing that?
0: Uh, um, um, as as Rick was explaining that um, There's been um Discussion because um, Mum shared that with me, my sister um, She didn't know how to Show a love and emotion And it was about Just discipline And that's how he was brought up And it, to be honest That's all I wanted really To be shown that the love, that motherly love growing up at that time. And I didn't receive it and that's probably why I was in the shell. And obviously dad wasn't around. Um, And probably that's the reason why I kind of strayed and wanted that um, attention. Um, Whether it was from an older brother, if you had, you know what I mean? But I was the youngest when I went with this group of boys. I was a lamb, really, because I just followed. I wasn't a bad boy. I knew that, but because I wanted the attention, I just followed and got myself in trouble. But um, it was about growing up and coming home and being able to share something with your mum, but couldn't because she just found fault in it. And if you felt you had difficulty, I had to think, no, why don't you get on with it? Just do it. I think, So why was the point of asking her? And that's what it was for me, and like for that, that kind of animosity that kind of grew grew in me, that I didn't share with nobody. And don't get me wrong, when I went as I said rehab, it was so able to share and open up with the counsellor that it it made my shoulders man a lot more easier because I carried that for a long time. I really did. Um, so yeah, when what Rick was saying was was truthful. Um, look at what she said but she's mentioned it she really did mention it to my sister and she just didn't know how to show that love because how she was brought up in the Caribbean was discipline even then, she said no word of a lie and it's a few months ago a lie it was the documentary on um skin, our skin or out of our skin or something like that with um, Ian Wright my mum didn't realise what I was going through at the football mm. all that time and when she told her sister, she said, oh, my God, I feel so." I said, boy. And she wrote me a text. And I was like, Phew. as I was here now hearing Rick said that, yeah, a bit tearful in my eye because I didn't open up. We didn't talk about it. So she went, to know. And from hearing it from the documentary, she saw that, oh, my God, Paul, what Paul was going through. And I didn't, yeah, it was, yeah, it was kind of hard
3: so what about your dad I mean he was out of your life for, for quite a long time and then after you have one of your best matches mm. for Chelsea away at Sheffield Wednesday where you change the game you meet him afterwards so yeah. how was that that must have been an unbelievable day for you
0: you don't understand this, whether that because um, whilst growing up everybody was telling me boy you look like your dad you look like your dad and I didn't know because mum he took every picture down Didn't know what he looked like um, So To Get in touch Obviously with this Yeah you know, I mean Dad was like I had so many questions And It was a time That as you mentioned It was in Sheffield And he was playing Sheffield Wednesday That like he lived down there And I thought uh, That was mostly As well played a part in my life Because none of my Mum or dad didn't come to see me play At all football not even when I was a youngster and that left yeah not sour it was it was bitter
1: what do you make of that then why, why did they not want to
0: mum didn't see sp- sport as a job football nah, it wasn't educational uh-huh. dad wasn't around so he didn't know what was going on cricket dad loved and I love cricket don't get me wrong but um I really did want you know I'm a family member and I say that because it's like I had a second mum and this artist, Stephanie. i am mention you, I love you, um, that um, I was always the one on my own when I went and played the young, you know what I mean, the combinations, the districts, the school. Mm. Everybody had their parents with them, man. But who stood out? Me. And just to have that supporting word, and I mean, well done, son, we're done, my. You know what I mean, from a parent. I didn't have it, I had it from other parents that come in well done played well good man and you know I mean I went home excited wanted to share that but got dropped and it just quite easily go and clean up the room Mm. Uh, yeah all right that's how it was every time so for mum she didn't know anything else but discipline Um, and dad come in where the opportunity, I started to get in touch. We talked. We didn't even really talk because I said, "Look, when I want to see you, because I had so many questions to ask you: yeah. Why you left and why didn't you come and check us and so forth." And I didn't know whether I was going to be angry or not. So anyway, Sheffield Wednesday. It was a case of, you know, what would you like to come and see me play? Said, "Yep." I said, "Okay, cool." You know and I mean, and I ain't gonna lie to you, I was more nervous about him than the game, and it was like I remember Friday distinctly we had a pre-match meal and I must have ate too much man because you know when you eat too much it's like as a footballer feel heavy and I oh my god I can't run man <laughs> oh man I know we got that's two, tough on a wide four, player you know what, we got two three hours man <laughs> and this thing's got to come out you know what I mean it was like, like can I go sweet. and go can I yeah, go and I go <laughs> and it was like oh my god man I know I'm going to be sub anyway I'm so glad yeah, pull your sub I went oh I needed that, you know what I mean. Let's get this out, get this out, get it light. So anyway, um, I was constantly thinking about, oh God, what am I going to say to this guy, man? Am I going to I'm angry with him? I'm so for. Game started, I'm on the sidelines, and I swear, Lord, my head was just thinking on him and I saw one attack, and they went one nil up. Sheffield wins, and I thought, oh, we get back that, don't worry, that And then, then they went two nil up, and I thought, still, I love the way Chelsea playing. We can get back that, but when I saw three nil up, I thought. Boy, we're out of this game, you know what I mean? I was thinking, anyway, yeah, one more him, man. Where was he been? Why didn't he come and check us? You know what I mean? And left me with the bag and then this and that. Everything was going from my mind. Anyway, substitute, come on. Can you're straight on. I went, okay, had to switch on. Bam. And you know what? It's it's. i got to say it was like a blessing in disguise. It really was from above for that game to go the way it went. And for me to come in on that second half, receiving the first ball, um, to this very day, Joey Jones hitting the ball long. I'm continuing watching that ball and it's heading on for some carry, then speed. And I followed it into the box and first touch, hit it to the right of the keeper. 3-1, 11 seconds. How could that come about? Your dad is here watching you play for the first time and that's happened mm-hmm. and don't get me wrong what we structured after that by scoring two which could have been the winner okay yes gave it a fourth but he ended for all Paul scores two and his dad was there to see that man that to me <laughs> my man must have done something up above I'm sorry because that could have never happened any other day um, I think the nerves are still racking because I was thinking oh my god how am I going to recognize this guy? You know I mean. In a players' lounge, <laughs> which was quite easy because he was the only black man. <laughs> so it's like you must be my dad, all right? You know what I mean. So um, yeah, come to the city. Yeah, um, and you know what? I had everything in my head. Like yeah, just make sure you show him the face. Like yeah, this game all right? Yeah. How are you doing? All right. I thought, fuck, oh, this ain't going to world at all as well. I was like, do you want a drink? Why not? Yeah. All right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. It calm we had two lagers, Because right? I wasn't a lager, I was it shandy. I was. And um, since then, um, yeah, we just got on and we was in touch. And I think, to be honest, it was difficult for my mum to accept that me and dad was now in touch and getting on. Yeah at this time and I didn't understand it but then I understand how she felt look all this time I brought you up and now you're in touch with your dad and you're you're talking about your dad like it wasn't the case but mum you are first I know what you've come to you know what I mean and at the time when I was young I didn't realise until now what you've done I'm glad I'm in touch um emotionally it was difficult Uh, yeah it was difficult times um I'll never forget them but it's probably made me who I am today uh, and where I'm going. But you you always seem to have this sense and it's all the way
3: through the book that guiding young people is really important I mean you talked before about how you were surprised going into schools that people knew who you were and since coming through drugs and cancer you've done so much in the community but when you go all the way back to when you first became a professional footballer you were saying in summer You'd go to schools in Hackney and around where you grew up and and, and get involved there. So it's it's not like you just had to find a purpose through coming through the other side. This was something that was always in your mind, right? It's part of who you always were.
0: It was, you know what, it's funny because um, I think that time period was when I got injured deeply. And obviously, like we, I mentioned, educational. And that's what my mum wanted me to come through that barrier, obviously. And I didn't take it seriously. That when I got injured at the early age of 25, and to be told then, um, um don't think you'll be continuing as a professional footballer. It hit home. It really hit home because I'm thinking, well, what else can I do? Because I didn't take nothing else. Um now you're hearing what your mum was trying to, you know what I mean, drill into you and I didn't I think, oh my god. And that's where I think the pressures of my mental well being at that time I, I didn't really realise. And everybody was telling me, Are you missing football? And I was, yeah, giving it nah I don't I was in denial. Yeah. Like I wasn't missing it. But I was. And um I didn't realise I got I was depressed. I got depressed and that's how the drugs got involved. And I didn't realise what the drugs were doing. I thought it was enhancing me, that it was making me forget problems, but it wasn't. As soon as that drugs were done, the problem was still there. That going through all that, seeing what I've done um, with football, with cancer, with drugs, that, yeah, um, given that opportunity to work with kids, and actually them listening to me that was the main point because i couldn't believe it i could accept when i went into school that they actually were listening and this is when the teacher said i can't believe what you do what do you mean i said i'll go i have these kids from nine to three and they don't listen at all you come in here for an hour and they're silent so, and they were telling me please don't go <laughs> i was like I'm sorry <laughs> you know what i mean and I do, I love it now. I really do. And the aspects of, look, you can make it. You can get dreams. You can achieve things, yeah, as much as difficult it can be for us. And I think it's more easier for you now. It was harder for me because we didn't have so much opportunities, but there is a lot now. And you can get assistance with the computer, with the help, with mentors and so forth. So we've got my mentor now. Which I enjoy, don't get me wrong, sharing. Um favours for me, because I enjoy. Um and it's like we don't get enough <laughs> I go in the schools and trust me, and I said to you in an hour, hours not enough. Mm. I've got so much to share with you. Mm. It's just like I can't get enough out. And it's so I suppose that's where we probably come around. That's forming why I formed the Paul Carnival Foundation. Um, the belief. Um and drillingly that we drill into the lads and not just boys, the girls too. Um, whether they want to be in sport, because obviously that's my background, but to give them back in the community. Um, and you can start an early age. Um, I didn't know no different from back when I was growing up. It was a case of just going on the road and thinking that we're having fun, but misbehaving really. <laughs> and you know what I mean? And yeah, you, you do realize when you get older and you see those things and your parents are telling you and you're not listening. You have to feel it to realize it. But now I'm the one that I turn around and said, boy, I'm telling you, if you go and do that, you're not gonna. But dad, I'm just saying, because I can tell you right now, but when behind my back, you can go and do it, but you're gonna feel it. And then I've said, I told you. So now I'm on that receiving end with my mum, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. My parents telling me the same thing. So. But I can conduct it in a way because my humour is like I'm a youngster still. <laughs> I know kids they can, but dad man, you're so stupid. I said yeah, but you know because I know how it is with you youngsters, man. <laughs> Seriously, they embarrassed, not embarrassed. This is my dad. Oh, he's so lovely. <laughs> <laughs> no, <I am. laughs> you know what I mean? I love it, don't get me wrong. So I'm clearly like enjoying life as it is now. Um, got some good people around me with the foundation and it's good where I am at a place where I am at this time
3: so we're we're more than 10 years on now from you haven't finished this book is life better than you hoped it would be it's a positive ending to the book but is life better now than you ever hoped it would be even at the end of that book
0: um life is um it's good life as what I'm trying to succeed, Um, can get better. Um, With life, regarding racism, I want to see a lot more happen with that. And I'd always be an activist. Do you find it frustrating when you get
3: players of your generation or guys who came through in your generation who are, well, it was tougher for me, so...
0: No. Um... Everybody keeps coming about that because it's oh god, of it's tougher there when you was playing and how it somehow was easier. It, don't get me wrong, it should be easier. It's not, and what it is that? There's so many avenues, right? And when I say avenues, there's a lot more complaints that would have not come out, yeah, because the same black players have been like scared or frightened to make any noise about receiving racism in the club.
3: Mm.
0: And because of that, that discarded of being thrown out. So they've not said nothing. And this is why we're trying to say, we shouldn't be frightened now to put our hand up and say, look, I've received racism and make a point about this. Mm. Um, I think when regards to, we talk about um, Black Asian, you know what I'm saying, um, mutual ethnicities. Anyway, pronounce it. Um, Equal opportunities. Right now, I don't think black players, Asian players are given equal opportunities in the game today. We've not seen... You tell me when you see a black manager today. I don't care if it's premiership or championship. We're black backroom staff. Have you seen it? These are players that have given a service to clubs, who love football, who've taken their coaching badge, taken their university badge, yeah, and still can't get a job. Why? Yeah. This is where this, and this is hurting. I don't care for me how I feel; it hurts. I'll get wrong. I didn't go for my coaching badges. I didn't. I love what I'm doing now, and talking to young kids, and it's not just black kids, white kids, Asian, all kids, showing them their belief and believing them themselves. But I've seen guys that have taken their clothing badge and are trying to get into the game and not being allowed. Why is that? Because the face don't fit? Something's wrong there. What are we going to do?
3: As I said, it was the second time I've of- read this book, Um, I read it originally when it came out in what, 2009 and it's very rare that you read a book and it's so impactful the the second time as well, but that is definitely the case uh, with Black and Blue, obviously there are a lot of themes that unfortunately are still very germane today Um, but it's it's a reminder um, not only of how far British football has come but how far it's, it's got to go and I think it's a really um, explicit very um, erudite explanation of as Paul's told us today exactly how it feels and I think for that reason as many people as possible should read it.
1: Yeah it's a wonderful gift to be able to read from your perspective what happened to you many years ago that as Annie says and as you've just said cannes is is really relevant today sadly relevant today um, there are a lot of things in the book we didn't have a chance to come on to you know all about your struggles and the way that you relate so much to the underdog as well and and that's one of the things you bring into helping these kids that you work with and and it's one of the things that makes you so relatable i think as well in the book um, and yeah just to echo Andy I'd encourage everyone um, to read it Black and Blue by Paul Cannaville um, and if if you any of the issues around racism affect you um, then there's a reporting tool on kickitout.org as well that you can that you can go to I'd very much encourage people to to look at the work that they do I know you've, you've spoken to them in the past as well yeah. can it? but all it leaves for us to say is thank you yeah, so thank much you. for joining us today and uh, we're glad to see you doing so well. And we thank hope you. to see you soon.
0: Yeah, thank you very much for having me. anyway. <laughs> this was a Stakhanov production.